Thank you, Richard. Have I used it properly? We're working. That's good. Morning, everyone. A couple of years after I'd finished high school, uh, myself and a bunch of high school friends, who for the most part had pretty much stopped hanging out together, decided that we would have a day where we'd go for a walk and have a lunch uh, together and just catch up. It was really lovely. We had a great time. The track we were following weaved through nice national parks and in and out of suburb centres. We got to our finish point in the middle of this suburb and we were ready for lunch. So we were deciding where we'd all go. And when you get a group of 10 plus people, uh, it can be really hard to find a consensus about where to go for lunch. You know, there's always a couple who feel really strongly about one option or another and then most people don't really care and they just want a decision to be made and they're not really helping anything anyway. Um, I was in the don't care, not helping camp. Uh, after a little while of people discussing this, we're all getting a bit hangry, that's hungry, angry. One of my friends stopped and turned to me and said, you make the decision, Fletcher. When we used to hang out, you'd always be the decision maker with things like this. You should tell us where to go for lunch. Uh, from memory, I think I did end up deciding where to go and everyone just went there. Um, this stuck in my head because I'd always been more of a passive person, didn't really consider myself a decision maker, but for whatever reason, with this group of friends, apparently I was the person in charge of deciding where to go for lunch. Uh, years after high school had finished and we were only catching up sporadically, I was still in charge of making decisions when there was a dispute. I had another friend who was kind of removed from every other part of my life. We'd always hang out one-on-one, -on -one, didn't really have any mutual friends that we'd hang out with together. Uh, but there was a period when we just hung out heaps and heaps. We'd catch up late at night, we'd both just got our peas, so we were driving around and talking about everything and anything at you know, one and two o'clock in the morning. It was a really great friendship. He'd had some pretty negative experiences with family and school and even church. So uh, in this phase of life, I was probably one of only a few friends he had, which I didn't realize at the time. The upshot of this was that I was the only Christian friend he had, or indeed the only Christian person that he was regularly spending time with. And I was surprised one day to get a call from him asking me to interpret what he considered to be a spiritual dream or a vision. He called up saying that it really shook him. He felt it was really profound and he was sure that there was a message in it for him, but he just wasn't sure what it was. Uh, I was 18, had no theological training, had never experienced that myself or even really talked to someone who had and just all round did not feel equipped to help my friend interpret his dream. With his permission, I asked my pastor and uh, relayed what I could and I encouraged him to talk to a pastor, which he was resistant to given his negative experiences. To be honest, I don't actually know how or if he reconciled that dream and what it meant to him. Uh, he's connected in with the church now and doing great, but for myself in that situation, it was a real surprise to me. Uh, I was not and still would not consider myself an authority on interpreting dreams. But for him, in his life, as the only Christian he was spending time with, that was my influence. If he had an ex existential, theological or spiritual question, I was the one that he came and asked and talked to. If you have influence in any part of your life, you are a leader. Leadership is influence. 
For me, that influence meant that I was in a position to help a friend navigate a profound spiritual experience uh, and also to choose where to go for lunch. Some people love leadership and thrive off being responsible and being in leadership roles and positions. Uh, some like to shy away from leadership roles and responsibilities because they don't want to be in charge, the stress and the pressure. But the reality of leadership is that it basically just consists of one thing and that is influence. If you have influence, you're a leader. Even in this church, there are many people in formal leadership positions, but they or we uh, are not the only ones holding sway over what happens here. You know, until a couple of weeks ago, there was an expectation that at Bentley Baptist, moving to a second service, that was going to be a second morning service. Um, and then we put the survey out and we asked our members here at Bentley uh, how it would work and what you thought, and we got your responses. Um, and it's been decided that it's not going to be a second service, it's going to be an evening service. And thank God, thank God for the influence of the members of, th of this church because uh, for many of us there is now a real feeling that God is opening up new opportunities through this evening service. In today's passage, we have an example of someone who initially tries to be a good leader, but in the end falls short of the mark in the most spectacular example possible. Pontius Pilate initially does what a governor should do. Verses 13 to 16 say, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But Pilate is not the only influence present on that day. Certainly, as governor, he should have the most influence as the one who's kind of in charge of the whole region, but there is yet another influence. It's mob rule. The chief priests and the rulers of the people gather together and continuously deny Pilate's truthful examination. Pilate tries to reason with them. Uh, we're told that during the festival that was happening at this time, that he could release one prisoner. One person gets off scot-free, and Pilate says, well, all the other people we have locked up here are actually criminals. So how about we formally recognize the conviction of this Jesus guy by imprisoning him, even though he did nothing wrong? We'll, we'll you know, formally imprison him so that you, know, you can get yours, and then we'll release him because he actually did nothing wrong, and it all kind of shakes out. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure the social stigma of being imprisoned will have a severe enough effect on his life. We don't really need to kill this guy. But they kept shouting, crucify him. So instead, someone truly guilty of insurrection, that's being part of an uprising against power, someone actually guilty of insurrection and murder is released instead of Jesus. That's Barabbas and I've got to say, someone being released guilty of those two crimes instead of Jesus is very poetic. And so Pilate yields to the will of the mob. Despite starting out with firm leadership, he caves to the will of the people. And yes, while the crowd were actively condemning Jesus, this does not absolve Pilate of his passive condemnation of Jesus. Pilate would have had a lot of considerations going on in this moment. You know, first of all, he tried to make the right decision and 
he and Herod try to reason with the chief priests and the rulers. But when this didn't work, I can imagine him thinking about the other implications. You know, he's killing one man who doesn't really deserve it that bad. In these days, probably not. Um, it'll quiet down the mob and it'll make me more popular with the people that I'm ruling. And in addition, if I don't do the popular thing, well, this mob could get out of hand really fast. So he chooses the popular thing over the right thing. He chooses the path of least resistance. As a leader, he fails. He fails so infamously that his, now, that his name now lives on in the Apostles' Creed, a statement that outlines central doctrines, doctrines of Christian faith so that whenever it's read out, we hear the words, he, as in referring to Jesus, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And I think the fact that Pilate's name comes up in the Apostles' Creed and in Scripture tells us just how important good leadership really is. On Friday at JIG, our junior youth program, uh, we acted out the story of Paul and Silas when they were locked, out, locked up in prison. An earthquake comes and breaks the doors open of the prison and looses their shackles. They were put in that prison in the first place because Paul drove an evil spirit out of a possessed woman, freeing her. We learnt a jig that sometimes people hate us for doing the right thing. Often, good leadership is doing the right thing in the face of opposition and hatred for the decisions that you make. This last year we've had uh, premiers all around Australia make very different decisions about how to handle the COVID pandemic. Some decisions made were more popular than others and all premiers have received both support and hatred for the decisions that they've made. But in every state, there has been some form of lockdown, uh, which was pretty unpopular with a lot of people. In some places in the world, it's so unpopular that there either hasn't been a lockdown or they've been largely ignored. But it's fair to say, and this is evidenced in the fact that Australia has just about the best response on a global scale, the unpopular decision to have lockdowns was successful. That's good leadership. Well done to our premiers. We've had a very high profile example of failure in leadership over the last few weeks. With multiple allegations of sexual assault occurring within the Prime Minister's office and other similar allegations which have since arisen as well. These events, as expected, have been highly politicised since they have come to light. And I want to be really clear that I have no intention of making any political statement by referring to these events but that I am concerned with the very real and present problem with a failure of leadership and influence in those spaces. And this failure extends beyond just those systems uh, broadly to our society and culture in which many places and many systems continue to encourage this abhorrent behaviour by leaders and people with influence within those systems. And the fact that they've been politicised by journalists and politicians and many others uh, says to me that there are people out there who are more concerned about the optics of these allegations than the people with pain and trauma at the centre of these events, which in itself is very poor leadership and influence. This is not a problem that is confined to the Prime Minister's office, and people from across the spectrum of politics and across political parties have admitted that sexism, power imbalance and sexual harassment is a very real problem. As more information comes to light surrounding these events and as more decisions are made in response to this information, we will see whether our leaders 
can make the hard decisions and the right decisions to turn things around? How will they use their influence? Some positives have come out of this. On Monday, uh, thousands of people turned out across Australia for the March for Women, which saw all kinds of people coming together and using their influence for positive change. Um, and a lot of people have been really angry at the response from leadership. I mean, we saw our Prime Minister not come out and greet these people as they pro protested, and people are drawing comparisons between him and John Howard fronting uh, the protests about gun reform when that all went down after the Port Arthur massacre, and people are feeling really betrayed by leadership at the moment. But they're using their influence for good. I'm on Twitter, and since that march, I've seen many people on Twitter saying publicly for the first time, or, or just for the first time in their life whatsoever, that they too have been sexually assaulted. That they have had to live with that trauma by themselves because they didn't think they could tell anyone out of fear of being shamed or because, the thought, uh, because of the thought that people simply wouldn't listen to them. This Australia-wide conversation is helping people open up and hopefully helping people realise that at a very fundamental and basic level, uh, people aren't safe. People are using their influence to hold leaders and systems to account. Uh, and as I've been following these stories, and this week I was really unsure about whether I wanted to talk about this, because again, I'd, I don't want to be misheard or seem to be saying something political this way or that, but that's not my aim, it's just that there has been a fundamental failure of leadership. And the more stories I read, and the more I hear my friends that I talk to say, yes, I live in fear, and yes, I don't feel safe, and yes, I have in some form been harassed myself, the more furious I become. And I suppose it felt necessary to use what little influence I have here for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning to say this isn't good enough. And we, as people with influence, have responsibility to make sure that this does not continue to happen. And the question that comes out of this is, so what do I do? At this stage, I'm hoping you're not feeling like the problem is that you don't have influence, because what I've been saying this whole time is that you absolutely do. Listening is a great start. Uh, you know, when it comes to harassment, I had no idea how big of a problem it was until I really started to listen. It wasn't until I heard my close friends tell me that they don't want to walk home in the dark. They have felt unsafe rejecting someone who's hit on them. It was only then that I un started to understand a very real fear which has an influence and an impact. One lesson we can take from the chief priests and rulers in today's scripture is that we don't persecute people because we don't like what they're saying or we disagree with their belief. That's the opposite of listening. You know, if we truly do listen, we might even find that they're right. And if they're not right, nothing's been lost by listening. You don't have to roll over and agree, but defiance and opposition is not a starting point. We learnt from Pilate that if active condemnation is bad, well, passive condemnation is really no better. As people with influence, as leaders, we simply cannot stand for things that are not right. Uh, you may have heard the saying, the standard that you walk past is the standard you accept. We can't do that. When we do that, the people that we influence will notice that. Maybe it doesn't mean confronting it in the moment, 
Because, you know, if I was walking down the street with my nephew and two people got into a fight right in front of me, I would be very scared to intervene. I might call triple O, but once my nephew was away and safe, I'd have a conversation and make sure he knew that that was not okay. Another thing we learn is the option not presented to us in this passage. We simply have to do the right thing. Our jig story with Paul and Silas taught us that sometimes people hate us for doing the right thing. Another thing we learnt from that story is that God uses bad things for good. The end result of them getting thrown in prison was an evangelism opportunity where they ended up preaching the gospel to and baptising their prison guard and his whole household. Our passage today is a snippet of a much larger story. Today we have a spectacular failure in leadership which leads Jesus to an undeserved and torturous death on the cross. But God uses it. A spectacular failure becomes the most life-giving and glorious event that ever has and will ever take place in history. Jesus died on the cross taking on our sin for us and when that wasn't enough, he rose again, conquering sin and death once and for all so that we can live, we can truly live. Jesus calls us to use our influence to do the right thing, even when it's hard. He does not call on us to die on the cross, only he could do that. But he calls us to use our influence for good, to further his kingdom and to bless the people that we meet. To use one of Jesus' parables, what influence we have is like yeast kneaded into dough. It only takes a very small amount to make a large batch. A very small amount of influence can make a big difference. And in the same way, Jesus warns against the yeast of the Pharisees. Today you could replace that with bad ideology or poor belief or poor behavior, whatever it is. Because Jesus knows just a small amount of bad teaching and poor influence will cause massive problems. And that's what we're seeing with these news stories over the last few weeks. The good news is, the grace of Jesus is bigger than all of us. It's bigger than we could ever hope or imagine. His death and resurrection gave us life and a way to use our influence for good despite our failings. The third thing we learnt from our Paul and Silas story on Friday is that no matter what, God is with us. We are called to be good yeast, to be good influencers, and we know that there is a weight and responsibility and a burden of using our influence well. But we also know that we don't do it alone. That the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are with us every step of the way as we make all the mistakes that we make along the way to a world that little by little reflects the kingdom of God more and more. So today, I hope that you are comforted in knowing that God is with you all the time and that he uses the bad for good in ways that we can't imagine and that in dying on the cross, Jesus extended this life-giving grace to us and for everyone once and for all. But mostly... I hope that you're challenged that in that grace and knowledge there comes a responsibility to think about your spheres of influence and how you're using them and to make 
the hard decisions to use that influence for good, even though you will face opposition for it, and you feel challenged to be a good leader wherever you are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you for grace that covers us once for all, for a love so powerful that it transcends any failures and mistakes that we make and that we are made good enough through Jesus, that when we lean on him and that we rest in him, that we can do these things well, that we can have an influence for good in this world. And Lord, I pray that we look at the influence that we have on this world, that we examine ourselves and that we really think about, Lord, how am I using my influence? Is this something that I am doing well? Is this something that I could be doing better? Help us to feel the weight of responsibility to be better and to not turn a blind eye to the bad things that are happening in this world, but to feel that weight and place it upon Jesus as we go out into the world and be good leaders and be people of good influence. Amen.